1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, um, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So, everybody faces temptation, right? It's not, and, and that's the thing. A lot of times when we're, uh, when we're experiencing temptation, we're like, well, what's wrong with me? Or why is this happening to me? And temptation happens to every single one of us. And as a matter of fact, it even happened to Jesus. First thing that happened to Jesus as, after he got baptized, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil yeah. and stuff. And so when we're tempted, the, the enemy, if he can't get us with the temptation, he'll get us with condemnation. He'll get us going, well, why you're so filthy and that you come up with these things. And it's him inserting it into our minds. It's him tempting us to it, right? Yes. And so then when we don't give in to the temptation, he kicks us and says, well, why was that even in your mind in the first place? Mm. And so it's a, it's, it's a snare of the enemy. And if he can't get you one way, he'll get you another way. But um, like the scripture that we just read says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, every one of us, every single one of us. Now, you know, all of our temptations are different. Some of us deal with uh, maybe gossip. Some of us deal with unforgiveness. Maybe some of us uh, deal with whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Each one of us are tempted, every single one of us. It says, um, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond beyond what you are able and with but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also god always provides a way of escape for us now the problem is is sometimes we don't want to see what that way of escape is or sometimes we we like we like our sin more than we like the way of escape and that's the thing about christianity is is when we when we get serious with god when we start following him wholeheartedly the enemy will just like you're saying the enemy will come in immediately to try to discourage you to try to get you to turn your back on your commitment to try to say is this god thing even real is this this is just your imagination or this is you know what I'm saying? And the experiences that you had with the Lord, the dreams that you've had, the things that God has done in your life, those things, when they happened, at the moment they happened, you knew they were real. You knew that God was real. You knew that God was speaking to you at that moment. But once you get away from those experiences, that's when the enemy will try to tempt you and say, you know, just like he said in the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, did God really say that? Right? And so the thing is, is when God, we, we have to remember those things. And it's good for us to journal too. It's good for us to write down the things that God speaks to us, the dreams that he gives us, um, the things that happen into our lives, because God is, is revealing himself to us in those things. And, and, and the thing is, is, is every army that fights against enemies doesn't wait until they're in the middle of the battle to learn how to fight, Right. You got to learn how to fight now. You got to learn how to fight in the easy times, in the good times, because temptation will come. Satan will come. It's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of is it a maybe thing. It's a matter of when. It's just all a matter of when. And so we as believers, we don't wait until we're in the fight to start strengthening our spirits, to start learning how to fight. We learn to fight now. And that way, when the evil times come, when the hard times come, we're already, we've already been clothed in the armor and we're ready to fight. Okay. 
so it says that with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. He says, um, so that you will be able to endure it. Look at verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, again, he could have said flee from immorality. He could have said flee from lust. He could have said flee from anger. He could have said flee from anything, right? But that's the key to sin is fleeing from it, right? We don't compromise with it. We don't dance with it. We don't, we don't um, justify it, but we run from it. So, and, and that's the problem with a lot of us. When, when we become Christians, that's when we, we need to start cutting ties, all of the things in our lives that led us down those ways. And again, that's why Satan gives us dreams of the glory days, of the things that happened in the past that were so awesome and so wonderful and stuff. The Bible says that sin is for a season. And okay, and, and the Bible never tries to say that sin's not fun. Never once does the Bible say that, you know, you know if you go out and sin, it's going to be terrible. But it does say you will have regrets. It says you'll have hangovers. And you will have, um, you will have um, uh, things that last. You will have, uh, you reap what you sow. Um, if you, you know, and there will always be parts of that that try to hang on to you and try to bring you back down and stuff. And so the main thing that the Bible tells us about uh, overcoming temptation is number one is to run from it. Don't toy with it. Don't, don't, even when thoughts come into our mind, you don't, you know, you don't think about it. You don't dwell on it. You, you take captive, those, those thoughts captive, right? And you, and you dwell on other things. So, um, so, um, turn to James 1. I wanted to look at this scripture because there are a bunch of Bible teachers who have gotten their teaching from, um, from John Calvin. And I just wanted to uh, read some statements that John Calvin said. Um, he said in one place, I'm just going to give you like three quotes that he said. Um, he says, Indeed, the ungodly pride themselves on being competent to affect their own wishes. But the facts show in the end that by them, unconsciously and unwillingly, what was divinely ordained is implemented. Do you see that? So he's saying that the ungodly people, whenever they do things, they think that it's by their own initiative or by their own intelligence or whatever. And John Calvin taught that that was predestined for them. He, said, he's ta he taught that, that God divinely ordained for them to sin. In another book um, that's called uh, Concerning the Eternal Predestination of Man, he wrote, but the objection is not yet resolved, and there was this, this thing of whether God causes sin or whether man comes up with it, that if all things are done by the will of God, and men contrive nothing except by his will and ordination, then God is the author of all evils. So there is a, a lot of teaching in the church that stems from these beliefs that the, the, the author and the originator of sin is actually God and that he predestines that. But the Bible says over and over that God does not do that. And in James 1, verse um, 13, it says, Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So it, when we sin, is it because, 
you know, God caused that to happen before the foundations of the earth. God, God foreordained <laughs> that, that I was going to walk in sin or what. It says in verse 14, it says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Look at this in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So again, sin... Sin is a choice. Sin is not something, it's not in our nature. It's not how we've been created. It's not something that's been created for us. Sin is when temptation comes to us. Every time we are faced with a temptation, right at that moment, we have choices to make, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if, if lust starts to come into your mind, what, what do you do with that? Do you entertain it? Do you start to, and that's the thing at that is the thing where it says, with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. But again, the problem is that sometimes we want that sin more than we want the way of escape. But uh, so that w the thing is, is whenever we sin, we can't blame it on God. We can't even blame it on the devil because the devil might send that temptation to us. But at that point, we have a choice whether we're going to give in to it or whether we're going to refuse it whether we're going to be in obedience to God or we're going to be in obedience to our lusts, right? Um, turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Sorry, I'm in the kitchen, but did you also say that at that point um, that we have a choice to take every thought captive to the obedience? Because a lot of times those temptations start in our thinking. Well, the, yeah, and that's why, you know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about to pull on, put on the full armor of God. It talks about putting on the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, and it says that the helmet of salvation guards our minds because every, every sin starts in our minds, right? Every sin, whether it's murder, whether it's adultery, whether it's um, whatever it is, whether it's gossip, whether you know, it's, it's hatred towards somebody, all of it starts in your mind. So the battlefield, uh, especially with us as believers, and, and even like this whole we're a Christian nation and we fight the wars of the Lord and, and things and stuff, especially things that they did in the Middle Ages and, you know, the Crusades and all that, and people fighting to, to force Christianity. Christianity is not something that can be forced from the inside. Christianity is not anything that's external. It's internal. It starts with our minds. And what we give our minds over to. And that's why the Bible says that we have to renew our minds. Because we've spent years, year after year, filling our minds with sin, filling our minds with the things of the world. And so now when we come to the Lord, God doesn't just automatically just, you know, we are transferred into his kingdom. And we are, we are made completely new. And God completely wipes away the slate. And all the sins that we've done, he forgives us of those. But we still have residuals because... You know, we've lived in that for, for years, right? And so we now have to renew our minds according to way, because all of our lives we've lived for ourselves, we've lived for our selfish desires. Now we're living for God, and we don't really know how to do that. And that's why we need the Word of God. We need to, you know, when, you're, when you become a Christian, we need to start reading the Word of God. When I got saved, especially after I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, I started reading the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And to this day, I'm still reading the Bible, you know, and, and you can never you'll never come to a point where where you're not getting anything out of it. 
you know, you can, you can be saved 50 years and you're reading the Bible and you're still drawing new things out of it and it's still bringing life to you. And, and so the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. When we fight against the enemies, when we fight against the things in our minds, when we fight against all the things that are coming against us, it's through the Word of God. It is our weapon. And then uh, Ezekiel 18, again talking about the, the fact that God is not the one who authors sin. In verse 1, and we're just going to read the whole chapter, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. And that's like, have you ever eaten something really sour and it hurts your teeth? You know, like vinegar or something like that. That's what he's talking about. And he's, what he's saying is like, if I eat the sour grapes, my son's teeth are not going to be on edge. It's my teeth that are going to be affected, right? So in other words, I am affected by my sins. Not my children, not anybody else but me. Uh, he says um, in verse 3, As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift, his, lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife um, or approach a woman during her menstrual period. Now, all this stuff in the Old Testament, it applied to them in physical ways, okay? Uh, they would go out and fight the Philistines, or they would go out and fight the Amorites. They would go out and fight literal, physical enemies. We in the New Testament, for us, these are spiritual realities, right? We don't fight Philistines anymore. I fight the lust that's in my heart. I don't fight, I don't fight Amorites. I fight my hatred against my fellow man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so the enemies now, all this stuff in the Old Testament, it applies to us in spiritual ways. So um, anyway, that's just kind of a throwing that out there. Uh, verse 7, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and does... Uh, does and who does any of these things to his brother? He goes on and on and on. Uh, verse 14. Now behold, he has a son who observed all his father's sins which he committed. And observing them, he does not do likewise. And talks about all the things he does and the sins and stuff. Verse 17. He keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest uh, or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. Look at this. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and observed all my statutes and done them, he will surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he will surely 
He will surely live, he will not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather that he should turn from his ways and live. So this whole chapter is about personal accountability. Right? Again, it's not God that caused the man to sin. It's not God that caused the man to be righteous. It's them by their own choices. And he says, if someone pursues righteousness, they'll live. If someone does not pursue righteousness, they will die. They will be punished for it. They will be cursed, right? And again, it's, the Bible is clear from Genesis to Revelation that it's not God's will that anyone perish. If it's not God's will that anyone perish, it's not God willing them to sin, Right? Again, it's the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about personal accountability. It's about personal choices, the choices that we make every day. Uh, verse 23 again, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his, his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which he has committed and his sin which he has committed, for them he will die. Look at this in verse 25. Yet you say the word of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? You see that? So again, the Bible is all about personal accountability. And when we're tempted, when we're faced with temptations to sin, we can either give in to those or we can say no, right? And the thing is, is God has given us his Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we, we have been born again. We are actually now alive to Christ and dead to sin. But again, it's the enemy that whispers in our ear and says that thing's still alive right? That's why he keeps bringing up the past. He tries to make us live in the past and say that those things are still alive in your heart. Because, and that's again why we have to renew our minds because they're not. They're dead. They've been nailed to the cross. And we have to begin to live like that and begin to live. And whenever Satan says that's still alive, we have to say to him, no, it's been nailed to the cross. And it's no longer me. I'm not living by those anymore, but now I live by faith in Jesus Christ who's delivered me from that. Right? And so, the, again, this is part of the renewing of our minds. And, and instead of believing what Satan tells us, now we have to believe what the Bible tells us. And the Bible says that I'm, I'm no longer a slave of sin, but now I'm free. And then that's the freedom of the cross. And it's the power, the, the, there's a supernatural power in us that when we're faced by temptation, we can say no. But again, it, it comes down to making the choices. Do we want to say no or do we want to give into it? And the Bible is very clear in, 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 the, in the New Testament about people who, who have choices. People give into it or people say no to it. And, um, and um, so how do we overcome temptation? Turn to Genesis 39. And we talked about this just a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know the story of Joseph, right? He had dreams, and his brothers were jealous of him, and so they, they took him and they sold him into slavery, told his dad that a wild, a wild beast had eaten him and put blood on his, on his coat and things. And, and so Joseph experienced a lot of hard things. And 
That the, the thing about temptation is no one is saying that it's easy to overcome, right? No one's saying that, you know, especially when we've been <coughs> steeped in it and we've given our minds over to things for years, we have strongholds. But if we begin to take those one brick at a time and begin to deal with them, we'll, we'll see, you know, the Bible says, even, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. And so, you know, when, when we come to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for cleansing, every time he picks us up, every time we get back on our feet, we're a little bit stronger than what we were, mm. right? And then Joseph, so Joseph was slow, sold into slavery. And again, the story of Joseph is really good because Christians experience bad things. And just because we come to the Lord, just because we're born again, uh, you know, doesn't mean that life's going to get easier for us. Matter of fact, in some ways, it gets harder for us. So whenever we're born again, we have to buckle up. We have to put on our armor and know that we're in a battle, know that we're facing an enemy who simply wants to destroy us, right? And he will do everything that he can to destroy us. And he's been destroying people since Adam and Eve. And uh, so again, Joseph is thrown into prison, not for anything that he's done himself, but because of his brother's uh, jealousy and hatred of him. And in verse one, it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, the Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and, made, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned and put in his charge. Now I think that one of the things that we, we miss about this story is we think that God's just blessing Joseph, right? And sometimes we think that that's how the blessings of God are. They just fall on us even when we don't deserve them. And they do, actually. God's blessings do fall on us many times when we don't deserve them. But I think that if you read between the lines, I think that Joseph was someone that, that worked hard, that, that used the intelligence that God gave him. He wasn't just sitting back and asking God to bless him and not doing anything, right? Because God blesses people that, um, you know, that don't just take it for granted, right? God has given us all gifts. God has given each one of us in this room gifts and anointings to be used for his kingdom. And we, we are blessed when we begin to operate in those, when we begin to walk in his gifts and anointings, right? Uh, again, the Bible talks over and over, especially in Proverbs, how the, cra the sluggard craves, but he gets nothing. And that works in the kingdom of God, too. You can crave, but if you're not doing anything, if you're not pursuing righteousness, if you're not filling your heart with the word of God, if you're not uh, seeking to overcome temptation before it happens, then we're not going to be able to stand when it does happen. Uh, so verse 5, and it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So jo so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. So again, Joseph is a trustworthy person, right? Potiphar, he's a very important person. He's, he's uh, uh, the king's, the captain of the king's bodyguard. And so important people are not just going to give everything over, all their control over to someone that's a slacker, 
that someone, right? He's going to give his control. He's going to give his power to someone that he knows can be entrusted with it. Um, it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's <laughs> wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now think about this. Now, you're, you've been wrongly thrown in prison by your brothers. Now you have this opportunity. You're, you're at a job. You're at this place, whatever. You've got this opportunity that you can get bumped up. You can get a big raise. You can get glory. You can get all kinds of benefits for yourself if you just sleep with the woman. Right? Because then she's going to be on your side. Right? And the woman has the ear of the man. Right? And so... so Joseph is faced not only with the sin of the committing sin of, of adultery, but he's also faced with the sin of 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 um, of self, not preservation, but you know, benefiting himself, right? So he's he's being faced with selfishness as well as as the adultery and stuff, and. Uh, and that's again. That's the way that the enemy comes at us. He he comes at us in several ways. Usually they're multifaceted. And one thing that I've noticed about the temptations of the enemy is like, I remember that like every, we know our weaknesses, right? And so I I know that like there's been times when I've been tempted by the enemy and I've fallen. And I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna watch and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be ready the next time he comes at me and I'm gonna I'm gonna be staying and I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be on guard he's not gonna get me this time and then he comes in from behind right and that's the way with the enemy he will kick you when you're down he doesn't care if he can use, if he can't get at you one way he'll come at you another way and so to me the best way to fight that is like counterfeiters, they say that counterfeiters don't learn how to spot counterfeits by studying counterfeits all the time because there's too many of them, right? People are coming up with new counterfeits all the time. They say that counterfeits learn how to spot counterfeits by studying the real thing. And by studying the real thing and being intimately acquainted with the real thing, they know when they get a fake. And that's the thing with God's Word. We don't have to go out and study. No, And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. And actually, I do do that to some degree. I study what the Mormons believe and Jehovah Witnesses and all that and stuff. But for the most part, I study what the Word says. And if you study what the Word says, when you hear something false, you know it's not true. That's what Jesus said when he said, my sheep know my voice, right? And they will not follow a stranger. But we can't know his voice unless we know his word. We can't spot the fake unless we know the real. Um, so verse 8, it says, but so she, she keeps coming at Joseph and say, lie with me, you know. It says, verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. So again, Joseph is a man of integrity. Uh, again, we, you know, you have, to, uh, you have to believe that some part of him is being tempted here. Right. There's a part of him that's that's like there's, you know, just like with all of us, there's the voice in his ear, the voice of God saying, don't do it. Right. But then he's got that other voice on his other shoulder saying, oh, you know what? Just do it once or whatever. Just do it and ask for forgiveness. But Joseph doesn't do that. He says he, he refuses it. Right. He says, and, and this is where God wants to bring each one of us. God wants to bring each one of us. To where we are a people of integrity, not just in what we say, not just in our outward appearances, not just when we're alone, 
but in every aspect where when we're faced by the private temptation, not the, not the one where every, because we're all good at turning down the, the temptations that everyone else can see, right? We're all good. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But when we're faced with the private, the secret temptations, that's where God wants to bring us. And that's maturity. That's the walk that God is trying to bring us in and to make each one of us mature to where it doesn't matter what we're tempted at. We're going to say no, right? It says Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And that's why the Bible says right there, it says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. And if we come to it, I, I can't tell you how many times when I'm in the middle of being tempted and I'm like, Lord, I need help right now. I need help now, right? But the, and the times when we fall are the times when we don't come to the Lord, right? We're like, oh, you know, I, I, I can handle this one, right? And, and then we get snared. Uh, verse 9, he says, There's no one greater in the house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Sounds again like the Garden of Eden, right? Where they could have anything they wanted. They could eat off of any tree in the garden but this one tree. Joseph could have anything in Potiphar's house but his wife, right? He says, um, he says, how, he says, he has not withheld anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil in sin against God? Do you see that? Again, every sin that we sin, I mean, we may hurt other people and it is a sin against other people. We may, we may do damage in other ways, but number one, our sin is against God. And, you know, and the thing is, is again, we think of God as this this person on a throne in the sky that's this stoic, you know, and, and he's unaffected by the things of man. God's heart is broken when we sin. And uh, so verse 10, look at this. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, right? Isn't this the way sin works? If, if it doesn't, if, if Satan can't get you here, he'll come again, right? It talks about Jesus in the same way when he, he tempted him in the wilderness. It says he left him for a more opportune time. And so again, when we, when we overcome sin, you know, we don't, you know, we need to, we need to obviously rejoice in that, but we need to know well, he's coming back, right? And just because, and Satan's not like a lot of people where you say no to him and they're like, okay, whatever and stuff. Satan will come back and he'll come back and he'll come back, Right? And basically his strategy is to wear us down. And that's why so many times the temptation comes when we're just emotionally and physically drained, right? When we've had a tough day, when everything has gone wrong in our day, everything is just, it's like the world has thrown up on us. It's those times when the enemy comes and hits us the hardest, right? Because that's when we're the weakest. When did Jesus, Satan tempt Jesus? After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Stop. So, and, and again, that's why God, God wants to make us spiritual bodybuilders, right? He wants to make us spiritual warriors, spiritual Schwarzeneggers, so that no matter what comes against us, we're ready for it, right? And we, he wants to make us to where we can outlast the devil. It's like, I don't care how many times you come at me, I'm still going to say no. I'm still going to turn against it, right? And it's those times when, after a while, Satan does get tired. He's like, okay, well, I've got to figure something else out. So, um, Verse 11, now it happened one day that he went to his house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. 
She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Well, again, what does he do? He runs, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and think about this. I, I mean, he's completely naked now and, and stuff, and he's outside in the public. So even sometimes, I think this is a great picture of sometimes when we say no to sin, it makes us look vulnerable, right? It makes us look bad. And all of our friends are like, oh, you don't want to go party with me, huh? Or, oh, you don't want to hang out with me? Oh, now you're following Jesus, and now you're too good for me, yeah? And and so and they do and they throw this stuff on you and stuff and and you do feel that kind of shame you feel that kind of embarrassment right and stuff and again it's if Satan can't get you one way he'll get you another way if he can't get you uh, overtly he'll get you by embarrassment well okay well maybe I'll go hang out maybe I'll go you know drink and you know and stuff and pretty soon you you drink a six pack you know. And, and so, again, this is the ways that certain work. But the, the thing is, is God, we have the mind of Christ now. And God, by his Holy Spirit, will tell us, hey, that's a lie. Don't give in to it, right? Um, so, again, the, but the point is, is that, is that Satan, is that Joseph fled from it. He didn't play games with it. And, again, some of, um, you know, uh, one of the first things that I had to learn when I got saved is I need to cut these relationships off. Because these people that, that I used to go and party with and still want me to go and party with, and, and by partying, I don't mean that we just drink a social beer. I mean that we would drink all the beers, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so all these people that, that are used to us <coughs> being like that, and now, you know, they, they want their day by day trying to get us to fall into that and trying to get us to go with them and give into that and stuff. And so sometimes there's relationships that need to go. And it's not a bad thing. And again, Satan will tell us, well, you just don't love them. Or you, you know, no, I love you, but I'm going to love you from a distance, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah. So again, in, in um, verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, look at this. She called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to, to us to make sport of us. And he came into me to lie with me and I screamed. In other words, he tried to rape me. And so, so Joseph gets thrown in jail again. Um, the story of Joseph is, is awesome because, again, it's about a godly man who, who goes under so many bad situations because of the fact that he's godly and because of the fact that he won't compromise and because of the fact that he doesn't give in and stuff. And so, again, we as believers have to understand that, that you know, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. Because this, this way of the cross is hard. You know, the broad way is, is wide and you can, you can do anything you want to on it and stuff. But when you start living the way of the cross, it costs. And it costs a lot. And it's painful. There are, you are dying. You are dying to yourself. And that is that dying to yourself part of it. And no one likes to die. Dying is painful. It's hard. That cross that, that, that Jesus said, you have to pick up daily and follow me. It's, a, it's brutal. And it's an instrument of torture. And it's an instrument of death. And it's hard to go that way. But the beauty of following Jesus is when you begin to walk that way, there's this transformation that happens. And there's this change that happens to where now you're starting to like that, not in some kind of weird masochistic way, <laughs> but you're starting to like the cross because you are walking now with your master and you are walking the way that he walked and you are experiencing the things that he has experienced and he is sharing that with you and it's an honor. 
for his for his people, right? Um, let's see. Um, and that's why turn to Ecclesiastes four because we need the body of Christ, right? We need each other. We need other believers. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another one to lift him up. You see that? So again, God has, that's what the church is here for. And that's what we are to be as the church. We're to be there for each other. When one of us falls, we're not supposed to kick them, right? When somebody falls, we're not supposed to make fun of them. We're not supposed to, like, well, I don't even know if that guy was a Christian or what, you know? When someone falls, we're there to lift them up. Now, obviously, we are to, um, we are to, to um, instruct each other and try to tell you know to strengthen each other and, and things, and we are to teach each other to truth, but it's to be in a spirit of gentleness, right? And it's to be with an, a heart attitude that for that person's best, and that person can overcome sin, and that person can help me when I fall. So he says, uh, verse 11, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So every single one of us need accountability. We need people that we can go to when we're weak. Um, we, when, when we lived in Utah, we, we knew a lady who had been an alcoholic. She actually called us one time and said, I went out and bought a six-pack of beer. I'm sitting in with them right now. And she called us on the phone. And we're like, okay, take the beer and pour it in your sink. And, and we stayed with her on the phone. We stayed with her while she poured the beer in the sink one after another. And that's what true brothers and sisters are supposed to be, right? I mean, if, I, if I'm facing some severe temptation, I should be able to call somebody and they go, you know, and they don't just look down on me and go, man, what kind of sinner are you? But they're like, man, let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let, do I need to come over? Right? And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so many times I think we, and again, you know, there, there is a kind of a, 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 a rough... The thing is, is because we are supposed to be maturing, right? We as believers, and that is to be our goal. Our goal is to become more and more Christ-like every day, to be, to be stronger every day and to overcome things. But, you know, no matter how long we live, we're still going to be human, right? And there's still going to be times that we fall. But hopefully, I am maturing, right? Hopefully, I am getting stronger, and hopefully... I can help other people more than I'm needing to be helped, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, people that, that uh, I mean, just drama people, right, that, that thrive off of problems. And it's like we, we all know people like that in our lives that their whole life is problem after problem. That's okay, right, for, for seasons and times and periods and stuff like that. But at some point, you need to be overcoming those. And that's the beauty of, 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 of the Holy Spirit is He gives us strength to overcome. 
And if we're walking with him, again, we are going from victory to victory. We're starting to overcome those. Not that we don't fall, not that we don't uh, blow it and screw up and things like that. But at some point, we are starting to get stronger and stronger. And now I don't need help as much. Now I'm helping other people. Right. And again, this is the body of Christ and this is us as believers. We as the longer that we walk with Christ, the longer that we know the Lord is is our goal becomes to be able to help other people. Right. And that's why Paul said to the uh, the the Corinthians by now, some of you guys should be teachers. In other words, some of you guys by now should be helping other people. You shouldn't be facing these same things that you've been facing for 30 years. By now, you should be overcoming and you should be helping other people overcome. And that's the beauty, again, of the body of Christ. It's like when we're talking to other people and someone's struggling with something, I'm like, you know what? I had this period in my life where I struggled with that same thing. And this is how I overcame it. Right? Um, so, yeah. Um, turn to Proverbs chapter 28. So number two in overcoming sin is don't make excuses for sin, right? Don't excuse our sins. Um, you know, it's like the world says, well, I have this anger because I'm Catholic, or I'm not Catholic. But, uh, I have this anger problem because I'm Irish, or, or, or I'm, I'm Italian, right? Or I have this drinking problem because I'm Irish, or whatever. Or, or we even blame our parents, or, our, or whatever. I, well, I'm, I'm a jerk because that's what I learned from my parents, or whatever. Or because, you know, that's my upbringing and stuff. And it is true that our upbringing and our society affects us and it does change us and it does make us who we are to a large degree. But at some point, we can't make excuses for stuff. We can't say it's because my parents mistreated me that I mistreat my children. Or my, my dad was an alcoholic, so now I'm an alcoholic. Just like we saw in Ezekiel 18, the son is not guilty for the father. The father's not guilty for the son. Now, if my father abused me, he will be held accountable for himself. But if I turn around and abuse my son, then I will be held accountable. I think, too, like, uh, I think the enemy often tries to tempt us with things that we feel like we need. Like, um, whether it's, sometimes it's really good things that we often kind of do need, like uh, companionship, or sometimes, like, alcoholism, it's, it's, there's a pain involved. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I think God will also want to take us and use those things to help grow us and teach us and help us to learn and become who he wants us to be. But at the same time, the enemy tries to use temptation to, one, get us to commit sin, but also yes. destroy the plans that God has for mm -hmm. us. 